Here we go. The three amiibos are here, recording for you. If you play the games, you can join in too. Put your hands together. Give them a rub as we take you to Donkey Kong Games Club. Huh, DK. Donkey Kong. The crew is back. You know them well. Connor, July, and Jeremy will kick some tail. We'll cover eight games every other week. Otacon will piss himself like a freak. From arcades to tropical freeze, this games club will meet all of your needs. Huh, DK, Donkey Kong, PA. Patreon.com. Be sure to go to patreon.com slash super NPC radio and subscribe at the $10 DJ Toad tier to hear each episode of the Donkey Kong Games Club. Patreon.com slash super NPC radio at the $10 DJ Toad tier. What's that? It's gonna be bananas. Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game, the podcast where I, your host, Connor McCabe, bring on a guest to hear from them about a meaningful video game from their past. On the show, we talk to our guests as much about what is interesting and memorable for the game they are bringing on for the main event as we will about the context and any broad or specific things they remember about their time when they really had this meaningful moment with the game. A little bit of housekeeping up top is that if you're on social media, you should follow us. And hey, if you're feeling brave, interact. <coughs> We're on both uh, Instagram and Twitter at Call Me uh, By Your Game Pod on Instagram. And on Twitter, we're at Call Me By Your Game. But on Twitter, there's just one Y. So that's B Y O U R. There you can see the wonderful uh, the episodes we've got coming out every week, the great guests we have, what they're up to, how to support them, and also see the cool show art that I make. So give us a follow there. There's also links in the show notes. You can also support the show by leaving us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store or, you know, whatever you think we're worth. I personally am a little biased. I think you should give us a five-star review. But uh, truly, let me know what you're enjoying about the show um, and maybe your favorite episode. And um, yeah, I'll even read it on the show. If if you leave a review somewhere else, like Spotify or whatever other podcatchers exist out there. I don't see those, so feel free to hit us up on social media and let me know because I would like to give you a shout out. Um, speaking of which, we have a new review that I'm going to read because I said I'll do it. So this is me following through on that promise. Um, we have a title. The, the, the title of the review is Solid Pod, and it is five stars, so I guess solid is really great. Uh, love going down memory lane with games I've played, but also learning things about the games I haven't played but want to. Big fan of this show, 100 thumbs up. That seems like a lot. And that's from Burnt Pop-Tarts. Thank you, Burnt Pop-Tarts. So yeah, 
If you leave one uh, that's, uh, you know, not mean-spirited, I'll read it on the show. Uh, You can also share the show with a friend, whether they love video games in general or uh, the specific game we're talking about today. And lastly, uh, the biggest way you can support us is checking us out on Patreon. We're over at patreon.com slash supernpcradio, NPC as in non-player character. And there you can find a bunch of other bonus video game content uh, like this and from the creators of other shows like Video Games A Comedy Show, uh, Inside Video Games Classic, and The Reactivators. Currently, uh, we're going through our Donkey Kong Games Club at the $10 DJ Toad tier. So if you want to follow along with us playing through eight games in the Donkey Kong series over this fall, uh, that's a place you can do that. Again, patreon.com slash supernpcradio. And in once when this episode comes out, uh, that Friday, this coming Friday, because it is a little bit in the future, peek behind the curtain for the listener, uh, we'll have the Donkey Kong 64 episode coming up. So kind of the biggest, most bloated episode we'll have. It should be fun. But that'll do it for the housekeeping. Uh, and we can finally introduce our guest for the, for the day. So please welcome to the microphone, Danny Gendron. Welcome. Hi, how's it going? It's going so gosh darn well. How about you, mister? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I was going to ask where where you're at in your Donkey Kong games, and oh, you answered yes. it with DK64. That game, I almost picked that game for oh, today. Oh no way! Because um, I'm such a, I mean, I, I'm such a rareware guy from you know oh, from nice. their heyday. Yeah, and um, find that game very interesting. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Yeah, but you know, I do, I do like uh, you know getting a little taste though. It is interesting. Um, I I have actually never. Uh, I'll keep giving a taste too. I've actually never finished that game, so this is like my big. Even though it's been one I've been playing since I was since it came out. Um, have you finished this game before? You know, so I was I, I was essentially had beaten it except for there are two things you have to do in that game where you have to get the <laughs> Nintendo coin yes. and the Rareware yes. coin, and to get these things, you have to play ported versions of Jetpack and the original arcade Donkey Kong within the game. Yes, and the original arcade Donkey Kong, whatever they did to that, made it harder <laughs> than the already extremely hard game Donkey Kong. Yes, so like you die so easily doing that. I think I I gave up. Yeah, <laughs> trying to play that thing on my way to college. And then, like, I I have this memory of being, like, I don't know, 24, already living in L.A. Uh I came home to visit my parents in New England and was, like, I just went downstairs. like, I'm going to beat that stupid Donkey Kong thing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Went down, did it, then got to K. Rule, beat K. Rule, and, like, finished rolled credits on the game. Oh, my gosh. It was, like, a real closing point for me. That is, uh, wow, that's a success story right there. And we love those on the pod. Uh, That is. That's right. That's incredible. I have. It took me. Uh. I'll say that was a stumbling block for me growing up as well. Uh, Jetpack through in this playthrough, I did have to give it honestly forty five minutes to an hour to beat it because you have to get I think uh, it's like five thousand points. But yeah, the the Donkey Kong port that they have in that game, the original arcade, is so difficult, and I think you have to get through yeah like the the original like three levels or so. It's yeah, it's brutal, but it's, it's it's more punishing than the actual arcade game. It's like your your falls kill you easier. The jumps don't go as far. Yeah. It's like it's a bizarre occurrence. It's like truly broken. <laughs> so, you know, it's going to take a lot of resolve for me to get past that because I really do want to beat K. Rule and see the end of this thing. Um, the, the boss fight is really fun. Oh. It's like a really fun boss fight where you switch between all the Kongs and they all have a different thing. Mm. And then like 
I, I mean, I, I was about to spoil the final moment for you, but I won't do that. But it's it's a great it's a great killing blow, Ooh. you know, cinematic that they do. Uh, I'm excited. I, I'm loving. I had a, a level in the game recently. This is so much DK sixty four talk. I had a level in the game recently that really like was so unfun for me. And then the next two I've been in, I've adored. So I've been thankful for that. Um, yeah, nice. Anyway, what was the one that you hated? Oh, actually, I'm realizing it was two levels in a row. It was the gloomy galleon level, which I didn't mm-hmm. hate that one, but I was like, oh, I don't like this so much. It was honestly the fungi forest. Wow, I don't even remember fungi forest. It's I'll, I'll keep it short and just say that they, the rare, especially these rare 3D collectible games like you, like we both are familiar with, they really spread things out and just draw out the time playing the game. So everything's so far away. You have to do so many things to get into so many areas and like remember where they are. It's it's a yeah. little much, but the le- next two levels are really fun. So totally. yeah, anyway, uh, Danny, welcome to the show. Um, thank you for letting me go on that tangent and going with me. Uh, we know each other because we met as Paramount Pages, as a glorified tour guides at Paramount right. Pictures in Hollywood, California. And we were sort of ships in the night, though. We didn't – we weren't a part of the same class. And I think you were already, like, doing assistant work or something by the time I came in. That's what I wanted to ask you is if if we did overlap at all. Like, I was wondering if I trained you or not because I don't – I don't even remember if I did train any other tour guides. Yeah. But, um, we, we did pass each other because we sort of, you know, I like I say, I had gotten hired out of the PAGE program, which I would later go on to regret as one of the biggest mistakes of my career. <laughs> um, I I really loved being a PAGE. It was so much fun. It was, it was fun. like, if you're, if you're someone who's just graduating college and moving to Los Angeles and you don't quite want to give up the dream of college just yet, <laughs> may I suggest enrolling in being a tour guide or PAGE at one of the major studios because it's a lot of fun. You really feel like it's it, like... At least for me, it wasn't hard to get hired. Like, it's like the only job I've ever gotten in Hollywood that I got from like applying to like a job listing on a website. Wow. (laughs) Um, But it was so much fun and such a great time. And I remember you and I, again, not getting to spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. together, but like sort of like both clocking each other as like, oh, you're funny. You're you're we're making each other kind of smirk over there. And like you and I did sort of talk a bit. And that's sort of why we we've remained in touch, you know, here and there since how long has it been? Like, oh, eight years, a long so. time. I got hot. Oh, man. I just I just felt myself age rapidly yeah. because I got hired in like February or so 2014. And we're in the year 2022. So you're I think you're right. That's when we would have met is about eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So February 2022 that I would have already been working as an assistant. In the in the real estate and government relations department, what the, the, the most heck? exciting the most exciting <laughs> department in any movie studio, right? Uh, if you want to become a writer, you should go to the real estate and government it, relations department. Uh, it, it's it's it was tough. Like you know, when you're a page for the for the listener and the the Hollywood curious out there, you if you you know you're decent, you stick around, you start to get opportunities to fill in on the lot. When they have vacancies, whether it be for a day on a desk answering phones or what have you. And so, I mean, getting any sort of opportunity like that, especially once you've been doing tours for a certain amount of time, is enticing. And it's hard to know what's going to be good. I mean, yeah, it's tough. Well, it's, it, it, it's sold to you as like the selling point of taking the page yes. job, right? It's like you do this and then you're sort of in the running for assistant opportunities and you're, you know, 
among the top candidates because you're already a paramount guy yeah. you know, or gal or, 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 or they, them or whatever. Um, and, and so you're like, it, it was at the time, like you say, very tempting to just be like, yeah, great. A real job. Like, you know, and the Paramount page was fun, but it didn't pay a lot of money. Totally. Um, <laughs> and so you're like, oh, hell yeah. Like, let's go. And it like, it took me like two months to realize like, oh no, this is just like a, a job. Yeah. Job. And I don't, oh, don't want to do this. Oh gosh. That's a bummer. I, I do remember seeing, uh, cause I think that's when I would see you, you would probably pop over to like the, the page area. Yeah, I missed all my friends. Yeah. I was a loser. I was like the loser, uh, you know, guy who had already graduated high school, <laughs> still, still coming hanging back. out at the high school. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, well, so that's how that's how we met. But yeah, I knew I knew you because I think I probably saw you posting about your sketch group, who, and I had seen a few of your sketches online over the years, and they're so funny. But you are. Uh, I'll let you pitch yourself, but I know you're an actor, a writer, you're a voice actor. What? Who is this Danny character who's on the show? Yeah, well, I've I've been a lot of things over the years. Most recently, um, and thankfully, I am a, a TV writer for uh, the show on Tubi, The Freak Brothers animated series. Hell yeah! Uh, starring Woody Harrelson, John Goodman, and Pete Davidson, um, and bizarrely myself, uh, <laughs> I I voice a talking dog on that show. Um, the which role is really you were great. born to play. It's it's <laughs> honest to God. Like when I was little, I was like. Voice actor was one of the first jobs I I remember wanting Ooh. to do, like learning that, you know, all the Looney Tunes are voiced by the same guy or like mm-hmm. I, I remember I remember um, seeing Return of Jafar, the, the Aladdin yes. sequel. Yes. And my dad being like, you know, it was Robin Williams playing the genie in the first one, but that playing the genie now is the voice of Homer Simpson. I remember being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's not Homer Simpson. That's the genie. And they're like, no, no, no. Listen to his voice carefully. It's Homer. I'm like. And that was like a total wow. like brain shift moment oh, of, wow. oh, wow, you know, you, this is like crazy that, you know, you, the different voices pop up everywhere. So the voice acting thing is sort of like, it's something I've always loved yeah. doing, kind of lucked into getting to do, you know, get to audition for out here um, and have had a couple gigs here and there that I just, you know, won through auditions or whatever, not a ton. But then um, the Freak Brothers came along because my bosses are great guys and they know I'm a voice actor and um, I I worked my butt off on the first season as their writer's assistant and that was sort of a, a you know, not not just a, a here you go kid, but it was kind of, a, you know, thanks for all the hard work yeah. and here's a, here's a role on the show. It was it was incredibly amazing and um, uh, I love doing it and we just wrapped uh, the season two writer's room. Ooh, fun. Se- season two is supposed, supposedly uh, um, coming this uh, winter or maybe early next year wow. the 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 date is a little in flux but um it's really funny stuff i think this new season's even funnier than the than the first season and um we just uh we're, we're you know we're recording our talent our amazing talent and um the scripts are really really good and and i've i've got one of the scripts one of the third episode is gonna be written by danny gendron which is very exciting Jeez, congratulations that's thank you that's all so exciting uh where can the listener watch uh the freak brothers or is it just freak brothers uh, it's the Freak Brothers, Ooh. but you know, <laughs> first sigh of relief. Um, and I would have really come down on you hard I if know. you forgot we would that. Would have had oh, to cut a few oh. minutes out. <laughs> yeah, um, of mostly just me screaming at yeah. you. Um, no, uh, it's on Tubi. Uh, T U B I is a streaming platform. It's free to download. You do not need a subscription or a membership. You can. You don't even have to sign in. You can just fire Whoa. it up. Search for the Freak Brothers, and it's there. Um, say it's a funny show, and I played Chomsky the dog, as well as Jeff Bezos and a bunch of other 
random characters on that show. I, I play like a, a T-1000 Jeff Bezos oh, who incredible. like, you know, melts into <laughs> silver liquid and, you know, reforms and stuff. Wow. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Uh, you know, you can watch the episodes in any order. My personal favorite episodes are uh, episodes five and six of the first season. So that's a good place to start. They're hilarious. That's awesome. Well, hey, congrats again. That's so fun. I know I've gotten to see this from from a, a distance or across a screen. So I'm. it's cool to hear from you a little bit about your experience. Um, is there anything else that you want to share about yourself or plug before we get into things a little more? Um, just, I guess my Twitter, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm Danny likes TV on Twitter. Um, I, uh, am not by any means an internet, uh, sensation. <laughs> I think I have like 400 followers or something, but Hey, come and follow me. It's great. Um, I'm always tweeting opinions about the latest television I've been consumed and, and others. And Hey, who doesn't need more of that? Come on. That's yeah. right. I, I think the internet could use more opinions. Absolutely. Let's just throw it up. Let's add it on the pile. Um, well, uh, before we get in to your history with video games in general, Danny, would you, uh, tell the listener what game you've brought on, uh, for the main event later today? Ooh, baby. Today's game is that weird and wild N64 sequel to one of the mo- greatest and most influential games of all time, 2000's The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. I'm really excited to get into it with you a little later. Uh, I Maybe I've shared this with you, but did you know this is my personal favorite game of all time? I didn't know that. Yes. I did see you You had, you like released a, f- a free Patreon on your feed of yeah. it, and I assumed that meant it was a, a special place. I, I was going to listen to it, and then I didn't want to for fear I'd just repeat everything that was in it. <laughs> well, now you can go back if you ever feel like it. But yeah, it was one that we did for our Legend of Zelda Games Club because we covered the 18 games in the Zelda series last year, which is psychotic. Um, And that was one that I got to host. And yeah, it was a blast. So I'm excited to hear about your time with it. I'm curious real quick. uh, Did you, what was that experience like? Did any of those games um, like, did did you change your opinions severely on any of those, on any of the Zelda mainline games? You know what? slightly uh it was a fun overall was a fun experience because it's my favorite series so it's not like playing it was a chore and i was very familiar with uh, i didn't play all 18 because we split up who was hosting them i probably still played about 12 of them last year um there's still a few i've never played like the two ds games but i have Mm, them i've never played minish cap which is one i really want to get into for the gba um but the one that this is this is not going to be a popular opinion, but the one that I like that dropped in my ranking slightly and it used to be an all timer for me was Wind Waker. I buddy, I agree with you. I I still really love a lot of what that game brings. It's really charming, but playing it this time around uh, was it. There was just some stuff that. It just feels a little empty and and not necessarily sure. even like because I was playing it on the Wii U edition. So you have like the swift sail. So the world doesn't feel as bare bones, yeah. but it was more so the cut content from the game was really well, that's, that's out. It. Yeah, it's it, I mean, it's basically been admitted at this point that it's like a pretty much unfinished game. Yeah. And you feel it. And the fact that, you know it makes that amazing it, 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 the moment when you when the boat sinks down and you're in yes. Hyrule of old and it's black and white and frozen is one of the greatest moments in the whole Zelda series Absolutely. and you're just like 
oh my God, are they really doing this? Are we about to Back to the Future 2, yeah. the N64 <laughs> games? And then you never really get to live that promise, yeah. you know? And and the final end game is just the sailing around trying to find the pieces of the Ooh, Triforce, yeah. and that's pretty disastrous. And, and frankly, there's just not a lot of temples, and... Um, the, the final, you know, run of just like refighting all the bosses again, Mm -hmm. but in black and white is really whack. And it's, it's too bad because it is one of the better stories of the Zelda games. And obviously the, obviously the art style is great. Music. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a more, it's a very unique link that appears in that one. I think like link is very different in that one. And then the fighting is great. You know, the, the, that role system is, is awesome. And um, you know, it's a it's a great game in many ways, and yet again, like they're like, sorry, it's got to go. And they're like, all right, I guess it's done. Uh, question mark. It was, you know, you know I, I've I've definitely like talked about this a lot before, probably on the episode, but the GameCube was doing so poorly a year and a half into its run that they they rushed Sunshine, they rushed this, and both games. You can really feel it in different ways. That yeah. Wind Waker's probably more polished than Sunshine, <laughs> um, but anyway. Yeah. Oh man, I could I could get into it even further, but um, I'm excited to hear about your time with uh, Majora's Mask in a little bit. But let's get into your general history with games. And Danny, I want to start uh, at the beginning as close as we can. Do you remember um, if as as a kid were do you remember like taking an interest in a video game for the first time, or were they just around for you growing up? Um. I mean, I can remember both. They, oh, they cool. certainly, they were definitely around. They were, uh, they were everywhere. And I always <laughs> like to, rem- I like to remind my father of this anytime. He's like, well, you played too many video games growing up. And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> stop. <laughs> I'm 30 now. Yeah. I'm over 30. It's time to, time to let it go. Um, but my, my first experience with video games was my grandfather, strangely mm-hmm. enough. My, my mom's stepdad, uh, Grandpa Phil. Uh, owned a NES. Um, And so going over grandparents' house was like the place to play video games, which feels so like reverse of what (laughs) life normally is. You know, I feel like it's often like, oh, I'm at grandpa's house and there's no video games. It's like, let's go to grandpa's house. There's video games Yeah, that's good. Um, Grandpa Phil was so into... The original NES that he uh, he got carpal tunnel in his in his hands from playing oh, no. uh, playing it too much. The games that we had uh, that he had that we would play there were Blades of Steel, the hockey game, incredible, um, which I think ha- holds the uh, the distinction of being the first game to mimic dialogue with the chip tune system. Oh, wow. So, there's like three lines of dialogue and it that goes like blades of steel. And then the other thing it says is makes the pass. <laughs> it's like when you're playing the game, all you hear is makes the pass That's over good. there. Um, and then the other one was that, so remember there was like the kind of famous um, original Super Mario Bros and Duck Hunt dual yes. cartridge. Yes. Grandpa Phil had the um, Super Mario Bros Duck Hunt track and field oh, triple cartridge wow. that came with the power pad. Remember the power pad? Yes. Oh Where my you like gosh. you run your little feats <laughs> on it, but you have to be in socks and like you could slip so easily. Like we like we like wiped out like on our tailbone so often. Um so a lot of Super Mario Bros, a lot of Duck Hunt, a lot of track and field. Um of course, at the time I was like basically a little baby who couldn't do anything. And so the duck hunt involved us like putting the light gun like right up at the screen, trying to trying to get the ducks. And then 
Super Mario was a little too hard for me. And I would like, I would play it maybe like the first or two levels or so, and then basically tap out. Yeah. But a lot of memories, as I think a lot of younger brothers have of watching their older brother play games. Um, so I watched him play original and Super Mario three. Um, mm. And then we did get a Super Nintendo kind of late. We might've bought it from like used or something. Yeah. Um, but so a lot of good memories of Super Mario World. That's another one I almost picked for this. That's mm. like, that's my Mario game. Still, I feel like there's some games. Okay, look, like, there's a million games out there. A million of them have like special places in people's hearts. I am so surprised that we have not gotten someone to talk about that game yet. Uh, really? It's going to yeah. happen, I'm sure, at some point if I continue to do this show for a while. But yeah, it's man, that one I feel like is so special to so many people, but just ha- it just hasn't been picked yet. And it just plays like a freaking dream. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still to the, like, I, I was always into it because it, like, for whatever reason, could handle it. <clears throat> you know, I, maybe I was just old enough by mm-hmm. then, could could play it more better than the regular Nintendo ones. Um, and then I reignited my love for it when they released it on the Game Boy, you know, in like oh, 2004 yeah. or whatever it was on the Game Boy Advance. Um, and I just remember playing the hell out of oh. the Game Boy Advance one just all the time where it was like a problem. Like, people were like, you got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that game is just—it's still the the high watermark of the of the side-scrolling Mario platformer. It's it's one of the best platformer games ever made. It's really great. It's one that I mostly experienced at a friend's house growing up, and only really in the last four years have finally had my own personal time with. And now, yeah, it's one that like anytime I get a new system or when like when I boot up a Super Nintendo Mini or first downloaded the SNES online package for the Switch, that's the first game I play. And it's like, yeah, let's just go live in paradise and just like fly around Dinosaur Island or whatever. Because you know it's going to be fun the second you boot it up. Yeah. That's that's to me is the killer, the like the killer app of that game. Mm -hmm. It's like it, it, I'm always amazed at, I think Mario games in particular, but Nintendo in general, are very good at teaching you how to play the game while you're playing it. Yeah. And, and it's just by, by just by, you know, what do you call it? Like exploring, moving, doing, Mm -hmm. you know, jumping into a level. It's, it's simultaneously helping you get better, but not holding your hand and just letting you play like more and more with these, these uh, old man corner time, (laughs) these bloated triple a 3d titles with their, these, your, your horizons with your 30 minute, cut scenes with you know as much as i love lance reddick i i <laughs> am not always like firing up my video game to sit there and watch people talk to each other like totally. i'm I, as i get older i'm really losing my patience for dialogue and cut scenes yeah uh something i think today's game does really well um but uh yeah i could go on about cutscenes. and i'll <laughs> i'll go ahead and just add my own two cents to old man corner and be like when i'm playing a game if i'm doing the thing i'm supposed to be doing i don't need to hear the character be like well i should go and do this or what if i climb those rocks i don't yeah. need that i'm doing it all actively like maybe if i'm struggling for a while give me a nudge but just if i'm doing it figure it out game <laughs> yeah yeah i mean um it was on another video game podcast uh, on Get Played. Uh, they were talking about Elden Ring, yes. a game which eventually I did have to like tap out. I'm like, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> I, can't. I, I loved that game and I loved the exploration of it, but it just in terms of the boss fighting, I just hit a wall of like yeah. how much I was willing to practice to play a video totally. game. But 
Weiger made this point on Get Played that like Eldering's so great because there's like there's no one going like there's like a, there's like a task where you got to light four towers, you mm-hmm. got to light you know four torches, whatever. Any other game, it would be like great job now like the other one you know like yeah. it, like it would constantly chirp in to to tell you you know what to do next and instead the game like i said just gets out of your way and lets you play yeah uh well that'll conclude everyone's favorite segment on the show old man corner uh we do it every episode it always happens um uh, let's do the uh, quick uh, play the uh, play the sound drop for old man corner we'll go ahead and leave some space for that jeremy insert it now Get off my lawn! We're going to have to use that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I expected a moment of silence. I like that. Um, so I'll, I'll rewind us back to, to your experience. You were just talking yeah. about playing the Super Nintendo, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Super Nintendo is... I'm starting to get it, right? Yes. I'm still I'm still a little baby watching in the corner. <laughs> uh, but I'm starting to figure out how to play games and you know, playing a lot of Mario Kart, original Mario Kart, um, Super Mario World, and maybe even now getting into like renting games and so mm. like playing things like earthworm gym and and <laughs> stuff like that um, i was also big into we were also huge into computer games we had a lot of mm. um uh my parents seeing no end in sight for the video game obsession started buying me like educational computer games to play yeah. a lot so i was big into the um I saw you had uh, someone on the show talking about Pajama Sam. Yes. And no need to, all the humongous entertainment oh. point and click games for little babies. Now um, we're talking. Putt Putt, Spy Fox, Pajama Sam, Freddy, Freddy Fish. Fish. All of these were, were I, I played them all. I played all of them. I, ha, I think I had like every single one. Oh, um, wow. They were, you know, Putt Putt saves the zoo. Uh, yes. Putt Putt goes to the moon. Um, <laughs> I believe they're on Switch think. now in some sort of like humongous entertainment collection no sports games but those are some of them are there yeah that's sick yeah um oh right because humongous made backyard baseball too mm-hmm. right yeah i had that as well um never did many of the other sports we were we loved backyard baseball because my brother was a big baseball video game oh, fan gotcha. so that's a lot of what he played um shout out to my brother eric Jendrick. uh but um Yes, yeah, so a lot of point and clicks. Um, there was a series called Jump Start First Grade or Jump yes. Start Third Grade or whatever. Those were again more, almost more educational than the putt putt ones. It's more like do these math problems or you know spell this word correctly yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but always kind of a fun over game. I remember Jump Start Fourth Grade being kind of sick. It was like you were <laughs> in like a haunted mansion and you had to like solve a mystery with the power of math. Oh my um, gosh, I definitely <laughs> you, th- more, most often on the show, I am the one sparking like uh, memories or nostalgia for a guest. You're doing it for me now because I had completely forgotten about Jumpstart and definitely played these. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. But big thanks. No for problem. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there was those. Um, we had, you know, I have this memory and I asked my mom about this recently. Yeah. She was like, I think you made this up. And I was like, no, <laughs> this is real. Um, I had this memory of in elementary school somehow being selected to be part of like a video game test testing thing okay. for like uh-huh. uh for it was like I got pulled out of class to go to the library and play computer games with a bunch of other kids who had been pulled out of other classes and like test out a new jump start game it was like a jump start 5th grade and then a new there was another series which I don't really remember what it was but I remember the name because it's a good name Thinking Things Did you ever play Thinking Things <laughs> I haven't heard of that one <laughs> No so it was like it was a new jump start a new Thinking Things and some other thing like that and I remember being like 
someone being like, where'd you go today? And I was like, I got to go play video games in the library. And they were like, what? What are you talking about? Sounds like you got like fell into a wardrobe and went to another reality. <laughs> Very apt for our game today. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, it was, uh, I saw this. I was like, did you sign me up for some yeah. video game test? And she's like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> so maybe I made it up completely. I don't Sounds know. It's a dream. Though. I remember. Yeah, it was, it's important to me. So that's all that matters. Oh man. Uh, so do, is there like a console or a period for you where you like, is it the N64 where you felt like ownership over games? Is that what you were sort of getting to here? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, thanks for keeping my own, no, my own memory hey, on track. Hey, it's part uh, of the job. <laughs> yeah. Um, the N64, yes, is the, is the moment that where it crystallizes mm-hmm. for my generation. I'm sure it did for you too, a yep. little bit as well. Like, um, I do remember the joystick, you know, the, the, the weird, the weird N64 controller being utterly overwhelming the first time oh, I, yeah. I played it. Like I remember playing, um, when I played Mario for the first time, we didn't own a 64 right away, but my, my neighbor, Dan Swan had one and we Whoa. would always go over his place and play. Uh, he always had all the cool video games. And, um, <laughs> I remember the first time playing Mario 64, I think it was six years old. Cause that's when it came out, yeah. I think, um, and I, w- I grabbed the joystick and it just, he just moved all over the place and I couldn't get yeah. the hang of it and couldn't control it. And I like burst out crying. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> so stupid. I was such a, such a little, uh, I, I would cry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Uh, literally if you dropped a hat, I would cry. Um, and, uh, but um, when we finally got it, I think it was like two years into the yeah. console's life cycle and it was, which would be right around when Ocarina was coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure eight ninety eight. Yeah. So I think we, I think we got N sixty four, Ocarina, and obviously Mario sixty four oh, and like Mario wow. Kart, kind of like, kind of like all in one Christmas. What a and haul. So It was a, it was a big deal. It was very exciting. Um, and so those were kind of the only three games we owned for a while. But Ocarina was the one where you were just like wait, what is this? Like I, so I didn't really have any context for Zelda at all before Ocarina. Yeah. Um, never really played any of the games. I remember maybe grandpa Phil had the gold cartridge of the first one of, of regular NES. Um, I, I find myself doing that like super NES and regular NES. That's like how my family always referred to them. And I'm realizing no one else calls it that. Um, <laughs> but um but yeah so had no context for Zelda at all and when my brother asked for it for Christmas I was like what is this guy what are you what are you even talking about like I don't know what this is um and he got that and we I remember firing it up being like or maybe we got that in Banjo Kazooie at the yeah. same time I'm, I'm my memories are all over the place but firing up Zelda and just being like oh what is this mm-hmm. you know just that that opening yeah you know, with the horse running through the night and like that very, you know, um, obtuse cut scene that it randomly shows of Komi and Kotaki yeah, like throwing a the weird thing at one him. to show. Very strange. Always mystifies me. Still don't know why it's there. Um, but they keep it in all the ports, which is cool. Yeah. Too. Um, and so just being totally entranced by Ocarina of Time um, and sort of you know, stumbling our way through, we eventually broke down and bought the guide. We were, we were big guide oh, household Prima's I strategy guide. I can relate to guide. that. Yeah. It was not, we were never really like figuring it out on our own. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so 
I think Ocarina is really where it starts to like fall into place, mm. and and then you just start hitting this this dream run of of games that come out for the N sixty four, like Banjo Kazooie and Smash Brothers, and and then Majora's Mask and Donkey Kong sixty four and Perfect Dark. Did you ever and, play and like, uh, Paper Mario? Yes, Paper oh, Mario. Man. Which I've been replaying uh, Thousand Year Door because my girlfriend has a GameCube and owns Thousand Year Door. Wow. Yeah, That's I know it's like it's, a, it's like a rare it's a rare thing, it's right? So, it's a kind of a hard disc to get now. Yeah. yeah, we also just found we she has um, Donkey Konga and Donkey Konga Two. Oh yeah, and she was like, talking. I don't know. She was like, I don't know where my bongos are. But then we just we we in this move we just did uh, we f- uncovered her bongos, <laughs> which are another thing that are like impossible to find. And yeah. so we're like, oh, we got a these are a collector's item now. That's these are big incredible. Deal. Man. Um, yeah. So any. So anyway. But yeah. Paper Mario was great. Um, just. But there's so many great N64 games. Is my point. Not. Yeah. Not exactly the most earth-shattering um, opinion. But basically, from the point from Zelda on, from Ocarina on, it's like it's it's game. It's like everything's going great yeah. now. You know where the the games you have access to are unbelievable. A lot of renting from our local video store. Yeah. Um, video. The, the awfully named video update. What does that mean? <laughs> that is like what it's like 10 years ahead of its time, but update still doesn't make sense. No, exactly. Absolutely not. Um, so we would go there and rent games. I remember renting worms Armageddon a oh, lot. Nice. Um, that was a very fun one. Clay fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was, it, you know, quake. Like it was, it was the place you could get all these games where like you would never necessarily buy, but you got to try them out yeah. and, and play them around. That was just, Glover for me. Oh, Glover's yeah. a classic. Chameleon <laughs> Twist, <laughs> Gex. These are all oh, games. Gex that like, what is this? One. Yeah, uh, feels like Glover it, was pretty fun. Glover, I remember being fascinated by it, and it's one that I would like to revisit today. Uh, yeah. Very interesting game. Um, yeah. So, what is? I mean, I would assume it sounds like you've maybe kept up with gaming for the majority of your life after this, you know, crystallization period. Um, were there? some like other big like uh sort of gaming broad moments you want to point out in your life whether it's like oh with the with this console was huge for me or this yeah. game made was was a big deal so i was a i was a nintendo loyalist mm-hmm. um for basically until college um you know i was big on those like playground arguments <laughs> yeah. of like n64 is better than playstation 1 yeah. <laughs> and like or you know fighting about WWF versus WCW, yeah. you know, or fighting about the Yankees versus the Red Sox or, <laughs> or, you know, like all of the things little boys in New England fight about. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and so definitely a, die, a, you know, a ride or die Nintendo person. And I think that was the era to do so, you mm-hmm. know, both N64 and GameCube. I loved the GameCube. I, I'm always a little, su- I, in my, you know, in my old man years, um, I'm always like surprised when I read things like you said earlier, like the GameCube was such a big disaster and blah, blah, blah. Um, it, you know, you wouldn't know it in my household. The GameCube was was the most important piece of, uh, of furniture I owned, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and that was an era where I'm really, you know, have friends that play video games, yeah. too, you know. And so you're going over friends houses and playing Melee, playing um, Double Dash. Uh, I remember my my cousin Billy and I were totally obsessed with Kirby Air Ride. Oh, Did you ever play wow. Kirby Air Ride? No, but I'm very familiar with it. Wow, it's cool. It's like it's like a kart racer, but you're kind of hovering and skidding, and like it kind of impl- 
applies the like grind mechanic of like a Sonic Adventure oh, cool. game, you know. Um, it's a really, f- I remember being a very fun racer and a lot of fun to like unlock the little bits and bobs with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, GameCube was so fun. I'm trying to think of like one specific game that really leaps out to me from the GameCube era, but it's not coming. I mean, again, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door is fabulous. And Wind Waker, you know, at the time I loved it. And Twilight, Prin- Twilight Princess. I think I played Twilight Princess on Wii actually, but I love mm. that. So I went off to college with the Wii. Being in college when the Wii is at its height was the was the best because yeah. everyone had one. You'd go over everyone's dorm and play Wii Sports or play uh, Brawl or you know what. It was just such an accessible system that like video like suddenly in college like video games are a way to meet cute girls. Who would have thought? You know, like there's cute girls playing Wii down the hall. Like, oh, I, I better go. You know, brain. <laughs> I just peaked a little bit. Sorry about that. Oh, you're all good. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so. They've always been kind of present in my life, mm-hmm. but then I don't really remember why, but I eventually in college bought an Xbox 360. Okay. I think I was tired of, of, I think by the Wii time, I was a little frustrated at like all the games that look good, quote unquote, you know, that with, with good graphics are coming out on Xbox 360 or PS3 is what they were on mm-hmm. then or PS2. I'm not sure. Um, and... So I wanted to kind of get in on that side of things yeah. and made the mistake of going with Xbox. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so like my first foray out of Nintendo, I immediately regretted it. I was like, oh boy, I wish I got PlayStation. It, you know, there's just so many more games in that era of Sony for sure. And like exclusives, you know, whatever. Exclusives for sure. Yeah. Um, but still enjoyed it. And uh, another game I almost picked, you know, on 360 was Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. You know, Arkham City, I think, is if I had to pick a game of that generation, that's my favorite game ever. It's, you know, it's like the first time playing that, remember being so awestruck by the way that game doles out missions to you. You know, it's not, it's not that thing we're talking about where like you got someone, there's like people calling out stuff in your ear or whatever, but it's not like a big map. Hmm. like Assassin's Creed covered in icons that you got to go solve. It's like you're in the middle of solving some Joker situation. And then all of a sudden you hear a phone ring and that's Mr. Zaz about to kill somebody. So you got to go dive down and answer the phone and be like, "Ah, quick, don't do that. And then you're like, you you know, you're getting pulled in so many different directions and the fighting is so tight. The stealth is so tight. It's like, it's such an incredible game. I can now like, I, it's like a comfort food game that I can like play in my sleep basically. Yeah. Like, you know, some people like fall asleep to the Simpsons. Like I can fall asleep playing Arkham City. Yeah. <laughs> like, to the Joker tormenting so muscle you. Memory. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, that's great. That's, we, we have had someone on to talk about Asylum recently. Someone talked about, um, Arkham Knight, but City's the one I hear because I have almost no experience with the series. City's yeah. the one I generally hear the most praise for. It's fabulous. I mean, like I say, it's it just talking about a game that teaches you how to play it. It's it, my problem with Night is that like it kind of like broke its own system. Mm. Like, do you find this happens with sequels a lot where they they try so hard to create a realistic experience, and now we've made guards that you know don't follow a path and blah blah blah. It's like, well, now I can't solve yeah. this <laughs> this stealth problem. They're just a bunch of random dudes, and like. I, everything I do now feels inelegant and and mm. and clunky. Whereas City, you feel like Batman. You feel like you know the game just gets 
gets you to the point where you feel like you did the, the cool thing. You threw the ice grenade and shot the, the grappling hook and pulled the guy into the pit. Yeah. Whatever, you know, it's just like, it's yeah. It always bugs me when a, when a sequel kind of like outsmarts itself, mm-hmm. you know? Totally. Um, well, I want to, I've got just like a couple more questions for you about your history with gaming. Cause I'm sure we could just go through every period in great detail. Um, <laughs> but I want to um, know uh, first is, is was there ever like a a lull, like a dark period, as I refer to it, where you, for whatever reason, were playing a lot less games or none at all? Hmm. I like to ask this of people like ourselves who have had an extensive uh, history with games and kind of since yeah. they were kids. I I think it must be between graduating college and like my first couple years in LA. Sure. Um. I was living with my buddy Dave Reynolds and we were, we were uh, roommate roommates. Like yeah. we were in the same room oh, as one wow. another. That's how I could I did afford that. to live off a, off a page program yeah. salary. It was like my rent was like $300 a month <laughs> <Yes>. or something. <laughs> um, probably, probably played the least then. And if mm-hmm. I was playing, it was just replaying Arkham city for the millionth time or whatever. Like, so that it's like before I broke down and bought an Xbox one, but post owning a, you know, a 360 and I think I had sold my Wii or no, my brother sold my Wii without telling me. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> but, and I'm still not bitter about you it. You said Eric? Yeah. Oh, Eric, you're on the naughty list. They're on the naughty <laughs> and we've list. We've got there. one on the show. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so that's probably it. Okay. And, and then, and then when I got the Xbox one to me is the real dark period because that's when I got into online games and specifically Overwatch. Yes. And all my life, you know, sort of looked down on internet games and like Mm. Call of Duty and Halo and just sort of like, I don't need to like waste my life, like screaming at 10 year olds in, you know, a foreign country that are, that are kicking my ass. Yeah. And then I broke down and became a part of it. And it like, I I got at my best at Overwatch, which was never really that good. Uh Like when I was like, I'm going to like, you know, dedicate time to practice this and get good at it. It was like sucking my life away. Yeah. It really, I, it, it, the thing that had, that I always didn't want to happen happened of just like, I am thinking about it all the time. It's like raising my blood pressure. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, like making me twitch. It's just like, it was not, not a good scene. So I had to, (laughs) I had to sort of step away, uh, from Overwatch and online games in general, though I still, I still screw around with like Fortnite. Yeah. Um, it's Fortnite's a good, like just turn your brain off and listen to a podcast game, you know? Totally. I, I have um, friends who hang out with each other while they, they'll like get on a zoom and play together. And it's just like a fun social thing. Uh, that's great. The last question I have for you is what is your relationship like with gaming now? So now it's, it's better than ever. And I think like, I mean, it helps that like gaming is so much more in the, in the public consciousness of, of viable hobbies. Totally. (laughs) You know, it, it used to be such a niche thing or like, or even, you know, there were gamer kids and then there were kids who didn't really play video games. And then like now the walls have all kind of broken down and like everyone just sort of plays them. And I'm now dating someone who plays video games. So that's like fun too. Um, not something I've ever experienced before. And, and we, uh, the game we play, you know, so like, we're, and the systems we've got now are, are Switch and PS5. Fun. So that's what we're that's what we're dealing with. Um, I'm playing Deathloop right now Ooh. on PS5, which I'm really digging, and didn't even mean to do this, but like was playing it the other day. I was like, oh, this game is like Majora's Mask. Like I knew this this conversation was coming up, and it suddenly occurred to me, like, 
not that like any time travel game is like Majora's Mask. Yeah. It's that specifically this game cribs a lot from it. It's like Deathloop is like, it, you know, it's made by Arcane who makes the Dishonored series, but it's like, it's like the stealth shooter element of Dishonored yeah. mixed with Majora's Mask mixed with almost like point and click adventure stuff. Yeah. Kind of tying in everything we've been talking about, but like the vibes of like finding the clues in that game feel very like, you know, secret of monkey Island almost or yeah. whatever. And, um, it's, uh, I'm having a blast with it. I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm at the point now where I'm attempting to, to kill everyone in one go. Oh um, man. Have you, have you played? That was like, I don't play every big PS five release. In fact, I don't play most of them, but that was one that I kept hearing about for, for, it felt like years and was like not interested. And then right before it came out, I like got interested and fully dove in last October and, had a great time, like very memorable yeah. experience. Um, did a whole co-op episode on it, which is the the panel versions of the show we do for our oh, Patreon. Cool. So I'll have to share that with you. Um, but yeah, that's oh, and so you're playing Deathloop, you're replaying Thousand Year Door, you're just living the life, my friend. I'm living the life. I also just replayed um, uh, Metroid Dread uh, for the Switch. That game is crispy, dude. That game just feels so good to play. It's such a blast. It's fantastic. Also did a co-op episode on that. We nice. loved it so much. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, Danny, thank you for walking me down, you know, at least a portion of your history with video games and what the, your experience and relationship is like with them now. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about all things uh, Majora's Mask. So I'll see you on the other side. Jeremy Schmidt, and I'd like to tell you about my podcast, Video Games, a Comedy Show. This is, you guessed it, a comedy show about video games. Every episode, a panel of video game-liking comedians discusses a brand new topic, the games they've been playing, and best of all, the news. Are there bits? Arguably way too many. If you like to laugh and or like to play video games, check out Video Games, a Comedy Show, anywhere podcasts can be found. Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game, of course, here to finally discuss uh, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask with Danny Gendron. Danny, welcome back. Glad to be back. So good to be back. Um, Like I told you before the show, uh, before we get into your personal experience, we're just going to set the table a little bit and talk about what this game is. Um, You did a good job of sort of leading us there uh, earlier, um, and that was by telling us that this is the sequel to one of the most revered and influential games of all time, uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which came out for the same console for the N64 uh, in 1998. And this um, is a sequel because it follows the, I mean, it follows Link, the main character of the Zelda series. But unlike a lot of the Zelda games, this is the same Link from that first one. Um, Go for it. Yeah, no, it's 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 such an interesting game because if you look at the release dates of these things, it's it's pretty insane, right? The, yeah. the <laughs> Ocarina came out in '98 and Majora came out in 2000, and if you believe Nintendo, they did not start work on Majora until after Ocarina came out. So essentially, they got this game done in one year, 
um, and, you know, talking about how they didn't finish, really finish Wind Waker, uh, it makes it all the more astounding that they finished Majora. Totally. And the way they were able to do that is they made this game with the same, not just the same engine as Ocarina of Time, but the same assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for people who don't know what that means, and I, again, I'm not an expert, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but um, <laughs> the engine is the thing that makes the game go, right? It's like the the core engine <laughs> to the to the entire game but the assets are like the textures and the and the um models. The character models yeah, yeah and and emotions and actions and things like that um you know for like a comparison like i believe wind waker and twilight princess run on the same engine which is mm-hmm. why the like the fighting is so similar in those games but completely different assets obviously yeah. like the art style is totally different so it's one of the reasons why Majora has this sort of strange uncanny feel is it looks so much like Ocarina of Time, but with the colors changed in one little Mm -hmm. direction or like the, you know, different people, people who look like people you met in Ocarina of Time have different names and different personalities in, in Majora's Mask. And it creates this very eerie, weird feeling. And on top of that, it's a completely new kind of gameplay from from Ocarina of Time. A, 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 one of the most unique and weird stories in any Zelda game. Yeah. Um, completely separate from Ganondorf or you know the Hero of Time or the Triforce or anything like that. Um, and it's just it's just a uh, given the the time crunch, the fact that they were reusing old assets, that they created such an accomplished, assured, complete, bizarre and and interesting game is is nothing short of astounding it's it's unbelievable it absolutely is uh this i mean i've already told you that this is my personal favorite game of all time so i could i could also talk about it for just for forever for all these reasons you're even like starting to get into i'm like oh man and any one of these threads but um i guess lastly just some like basic stuff about the game that i want to get out is this is one of the nintendo 64 games to uh, require the use of the expansion pack which expanded the ram on the nintendo 64 right i don't remember if it came with it with the game it did i don't think i don't think it did the games it came with were both were both rare games they were um donkey kong 64 mm-hmm. and jet force gemini you remember that one? <laughs> oh yes i do another I, almost impossible and kind of broken game <laughs> yes uh i'm pretty sure i got mine with dk64 so by the time this came out um i would have already had it thankfully yeah. um that was the case uh and story-wise just to set the table as well this follows like we already said the same link from ocarina of time at the end of that game uh you are sent back in time to be a child again and live out your childhood you know depending on i guess the timeline you're in um but for the purposes of this game uh child link is uh link is set back to be a child um but his best friend his fairy navi goes missing so this is him setting out into the kokiri forest to find navi and he gets you know whisked away into another world um which is termina where this game takes place it's really unclear and there's a lot of speculation nowadays like is this is this his dream is he dead is this all happening um you could take it at whatever face value you want but that's sort of how we get into the game and essentially you have like a three-day cycle you keep going through in order to stop this moon from crashing in to the world and just and destroying everything and you're trying to stop it and it's it there's a lot of masks too i don't know if the title gave oh, yeah. it away 
Yeah, it's and everything you're saying, you know, just I I love replaying this game mostly because I love this beginning stretch from like the very start of the game through when you shed the Deku the Deku mask. I yeah. think some of the, some of the most interesting and like really efficient video game storytelling ever and and but again, you th- like right off the bat they're they're throwing things out the window, right? Yeah. Like you you know and and rethinking the way we get into games like this, right? So like if you think back to like the first Zelda, cool old man in the cave, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this, you know, and and um you know, Ocarina of Time, you got the Deku tree and Navi telling you you're the you're the chosen one, you're the fate of the world. And then this one, <laughs> you are a kid who has has the memories of being <laughs> you know, 20 and, and fighting a giant pig God yeah. uh, at the top of a lightning struck tower, um, comes back in time and is like Frodo at the end of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do anymore. So I guess I'm just going to go like wander in the woods. Yeah. And it's set, you know, it opens with that great crawl about how he's going off to find Navi. And so we're like, okay, that's the story. He's going to go find Navi. Nope. He's yeah. immediately <laughs> conned by two other fairies that aren't his fairy. His horse gets stolen by this, weird little imp man and within a mask that we don't know what the hell's going on. He follows him, falls into this tree, this hole in a tree and ends up in a, in a place that is not his home. And suddenly this, this imp with the mask has untold power is able to float, is able to transform his body into another creature. And he ends up with one of these fairies that doesn't like him as his guide. So like, and then we meet the happy mask salesman who who tells us that, well, we got to go into the happy mask salesman, but he tells oh, yeah. he gives us the rules of the game. He tells us what we're doing, what we're trying to solve. So, old man gatekeeper is this creep, is this weird freak who like has his own selfish gains. That's weird for the series. The your your companion is not a nice, sweet little little yes. fairy that's like wants you to succeed. She's like a jerk who like tried to rob you at the beginning and is now like, uh, listen, let's work together. Cause we got to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and also the bad guy is not an erudite, you know, warlord soldier who can turn into a, a giant pig monster. He's a little freak. <laughs> he's a little, yes. he's a little kid who's like a petulant baby who's been like given this untold godly power. He's like the skull kid is basically like, He's like if Gollum and Sauron were the same person, you know, it's yeah. like, he's like, he's got the ring. He's a little, he's a little creep that's got the ring. And now he's like wreaking untold havoc with it. And we got to stop him. Yeah. It's, there's so much going on and it's, it's so much fun. Like there's, and it's complicated. And even thinking about like how the skull kid, you technically meet in Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. in the forest. Cause you meet skull kids. It's, Interesting choices by them of what they decide, how they decided to tell the story. What I want to hear from you is, do you remember anticipating this game or was it one that your brother also was like, oh, we got to get this too? No, I, I, you know, by the end of playing Ocarina of Time, we were, we were in the bag, you know, like now we're Zelda fans for life yeah. and we're, we were um, avid uh, subscribers to Nintendo Power yeah. Magazine. So it was impossible to avoid, you know, the excitement for this and, I don't know if you remember the like the ads for this game were super cool like it like that showed the moon like falling down like in like real life you know like it like people are playing the game and like behind them the moon is falling it was oh, like wow. very like, very cool commercials for it and but at the time you know 
I was not expecting what we got. You know, they, they were upfront about the three day cycle and the time travel thing and the, and the fact that the bad guy is named Majora and the moon's falling and blah, blah, blah. But no, nowhere did they tell you like this place, this game is largely a metaphor about death. Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> takes place in a, in a dream world that may or may not be real. Um, and you know, it's going to be about someone who goes around and, plays songs for them to heal their souls and send them to the great beyond. Yeah. It's it's such a bizarre game, let alone one to be affixed onto Zelda. Like it's like, it feels like it has all these ideas that would be hard to get out in any other franchise, but they're like, all right, I can make whatever I want. I got, I got a year to make a Zelda game. This is what I'm making. And it's again, it just blows my mind. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things thinking about all that really is there and what you are doing as Link. Like you were describing how you are healing souls. Like that's that's the whole theme of the game it feels like as you're going around this termina and doing this for people and finding different ways to help them. That is not something – like I've probably played this game 15 or so times in my life. It's It's so comforting to go back to despite most of the game being – discomforting and and heartbreaking (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's wild it's like it's a game about every single character has a problem or a or a thing that they need done for them right and that's that's like the the tracker of the game you get is the bomber's notebook right and it's and it's it speaks to this kind of like acidic sense of humor of this game like you get the bomber's notebook and it's delivered to you with this cheery like go around and do good deeds and you'll get little stickers that tell you you did a good deed for the day and like one (laughs) of those good deeds is again you let a ghost rest and go to the afterlife (laughs) and so it's like you're these good deeds it's sound that sounds so cutesy and warm and fuzzy, right? Like very like, you know, Saturday morning kids show. But like the reality is so much everyone you're helping someone deal with like either the darkest night of the soul they've ever had or they're no- living their normal lives and they're freaking out because the world's about to end. You know, yeah. the moon's about to fall. So like everyone's like all the characters like anxieties are on full display. Like this, totally. this game's about anxiety in a weird way. It's about, you know, depression and, and, and again, you know, it's all, it's like you kind of implied, like some people like go, go overboard theorizing about, Oh, is this real? Is it a dream? Is it this? Is it that? It's like, I think you should just approach this game as like, it's storytelling. It's a, it's a meta, you know, all yeah. these things about death and, and whatever in it, it's, it's metaphorical and maybe not so literal, but it is, confounding because it's wrapped in the package of Zelda, which is normally such a, a mythos heavy thing that people love to pick over, you know? Yeah. I, it's a lot of the things you're describing too. uh, the, with each playthrough, I feel like over the years, especially the last handful that I've done, I played it last year. Like I was telling you for the show, the more and more that I notice and pick up about these things or that I will really finally, like I remember all of the side quests and the characters because I've done this game enough. But there are certain aspects that I will maybe affect me differently based on whatever period of my life I'm going through personally. So, um, yeah, I was also anticipating it. So it's cool to hear. Of course, Nintendo Power Kids. How do you not get excited? Of course. Um, and then and then when you finally get it, it was a gold cartridge with a holographic like yes. label that you could like wiggle. Oh, my. I still I was just like holding it when I was home. I was just recently home with visiting my parents in my childhood home. And uh, pick just picked it up and like just like moved it back yep. and forth a little bit, like being like, oh, what a what a thing this little item is. He's got his little sword uh, pointing towards the front. It's it's cool. Um, no, 
it, this, I mean, it sounds like a game you've also possibly revisited. I would like to hear from you. Um, what's like an aspect of the game that, uh, that really sticks out to you that we maybe haven't brought up that you'd like to highlight right now? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, is the music. Um, mm. you know, it's, I, as much as I loved, um, Breath of the Wild, one of my least favorite things about it is that there's not a lot of music in it. You know, there's some boss fight kind of stuff. But in terms of just each world having its own theme, it's it's very spare, right? You know, there's that little like tinkly piano that plays when you're yeah. in the field. And um, it kind of bums me out because to me, music is such a is such a big part of the Zelda world. Mm-hmm. Um and in some ways, Majora kind of is kind of the last time they, not the last time they they composed cool and amazing songs for it, but it's it's the last time they really work hard at the ocarina songs. You know, oh a, sure. After this, you've got Wind Waker and Twilight Princess that both have you know play a song elements to them, um, but they're pretty. You know, the Wind Waker ones are just like doing doing doing, and then they and then that's it, and then the song starts. Yeah. Whereas the Ocarina tunes in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask are both just like real cool and a lot of fun. And, and then the world music's great. But like, again, uh, going into that, like everything's familiar, but everything's a little weirder and stranger in Ocarina. Um, all the songs on the Ocarina are like, if everything is kind of sunny or or cool in, in Ocarina, the songs in Majora are like, yeah, yeah. They're very like falling off, you know, and slidey and creepy and weird inducing. And even the song of healing, which we alluded to before, is kind of this game's, you know, showstopper song, like in like the way Zelda's lullaby or um Song of Time is in the in the yeah. first one. Uh the song of healing is a is a very haunting melody and the dun 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 yeah gives me chills uh, <laughs> it's just so good um you know all these all the songs in the game are like a little weirder a mm-hmm. little more um musically interesting and they really go all out but also know when to bust out the classics from ocarina of time like you get some song of time you get some uh high you know hyrule field theme and yeah and uh there's some the, even the when I was I was rewatching the opening right before we started, uh-huh. um, and it it starts with that very tinkly. Um, it's it, oh. it, I rec- I recognize it as the music that plays every time you beat a, a temple as an adult. Yeah. Um, in Ocarina, you know that kind of. Yes. This is in the forest. Yeah, that's how the game opens, which. In Ocarina, all those scenes are played over white, and that's the sage talking. You're like, "You did good, brother." Yeah, give, give Ganondorf <laughs> hell or whatever. Um, and to me, it's like those are always such like okay, end of a chapter. Yeah, in Ocarina of Time, so that this that this game begins with the end of chapter music. I find very interesting, and it, that it leads huh. into this like this again this beguiling opening scene. It's like we're looking for the fairy. Psych, we're, we've turned into a Deku scrub and it's completely different now. Like yeah. it's it's this weird like what are we getting ourselves into kind of vibe. Yeah, you're living in a nightmare now. Deal with it. Uh yeah, yeah the, man like the game quite quickly can like stress somebody out whether it cuz no one when you're starting to play a Zelda or you're playing any Zelda game, you want to be Link. You want to be swinging your sword and this game 
after briefly giving you the controls to like do some cool front flips and side flips over those oh, like the front flips made me the first time I played them my brother and I both went <gasps> yeah just a small detail that I still really love about it um which sometimes going over like small gaps I'm like this is so unnecessary link you could just hop over there but uh they take all of that away from you and it's gone and the only way you can <laughs> the only way you can you know turn back into yourself or shed this uh guess this whole different guys you have on is is by getting to the ocarina but right that but it, it's not like the stress ends there it'll continue throughout the game um no do you but, but it, oh sorry oh, no after you please i was gonna say you know talk about the game teaching you how to play it right it's like we're basically we have this huge concept of the three days that we need mm-hmm. to drill home to the player and if we give them everything, his sword and his shield and the ocarina right away, then they won't stick around long enough to like see what this really means, what yeah. this function, how this functions. So like by forcing you to stay in Clock Town with barely any power, you know, you can shoot a bubble and you can you can float in the air. Um, you kind of like understand like, oh, OK, so certain things happen at certain times, yeah. you know, and. And I have to be here when the when the old lady gets robbed by the by the um, thief, you know, and and I can only do X at certain times. It's like it. And then you do the whole bomber's notebook quest and you're and getting the tear from the old man in the observatory. And like and then you go and confront the boss of the game. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not ready for this at all. No. Um, so it's like it's that first section of just like teaching you how it's done is is really masterful i think and and really wild absolutely it really gives you it's a preview of what you're going to be doing throughout the rest of the game it's just in a smaller scale because it's all just what's going on in clock town but that is also happening throughout the rest of the world where people are going through their days events are happening um certain things you'll miss if you don't do it you can trigger new events by doing certain things yeah um so that's, I mean, we, we should talk about the the idea of decision making and the ripple effect and please, like the, yeah. the way things change in this game, because on, in that aspect, it's so ahead of its time. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like the idea of, you know, the let's call it like the Mass Effect type game of like, you know, oh, yeah. making making a decision or saying a certain dialogue tree and that triggering, you know, lasting consequences to your character to the kind of ending you get these are things that video games do all the time now but back in the little old year 2000 on those silly cartridges for the silly nintendo 64 nintendo was already trying to crack that algorithmic nut yeah and like the way they did it was just we're just gonna write a ton of game into this game Mm -hmm. and so like i mentioned the old lady that gets robbed by the bombs. Like it's one of the first things you can do is stop the thief from stealing those bombs, right? Yes. You, you witness it as a Deku scrub. You can't do anything about it. But then the second you get your sword back and you're a person again, you can save her. Hooray. We save the old lady. She gives you the bomb mask. Cool. I did a good deed. Got a little, a little stamp in the bomber's notebook. Yeah. And then as the game goes on, you become aware of this, incredibly wonderfully well written and we could go we could have a whole podcast about this side quest the the wedding the couple's mask yes, quest absolutely um, with, with Kathy and Anju um you one of the things you learn again you're it's way late in the game now a long time since you saved the old lady from the bomb is you have to let the thief steal the bombs yeah and and not save the old lady and I remember figuring that out and being like this is the coolest game yeah, I've ever played. Like, totally. you know, to, to, in order to achieve one 
thing, you have to do it one way. And But if you just don't let that happen, then this whole other insane long storyline unlocks and you didn't, didn't even know it was there. And then as like a little kid playing it, your mind starts to spin. It's like, okay, so but wait, I'm doing all these good deeds, but every time I reset the clock, the deeds go away. And you work really hard to save the old lady or get the couple's mask or save the little girls on the ranch from the alien invasion, something else we have oh to talk about. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, and then you reset it and you're like, well, none of that's done anymore. Like, I remember it really upsetting me that like when you finally get to the end game and beat Majora, it's like, but all those tasks I did are undone. You know, the yeah, the swamp is still poison and the and the mountain is still too cold and, and you know, whatever. It's like, it's kind of, ex- it was very existential for me playing it you know to go back to like how did you feel playing it I was just like you know the again the ranch in particular really upset me (laughs) oh that's a horrifying moment in the game which is so funny because even at the time it's not like the aliens themselves the design of what we're sort of getting into were that scary they still are on the blocky Nintendo 64 Mm -hmm. but the their presence I think combined with the music was what I also was very scared is what I'm trying to say uh but yeah, the, the game, you know, it it feels like it's trying to make a point that like you can't save everyone and help everyone. Sure, you could do it over a series like a million di- like three day cycles of resetting and helping people. But once you do that to help someone else, your good deed is it's like it's never happened. Right. Uh, it's, it's depressing, it's sort of like, but it's it's sort of like the opposite of Groundhog Day, you know, where it's like Groundhog Day. He has to figure out the perfect day where he helps everyone yes. is 100 percent selfless and wins over the love of of uh, uh, any McDowell, like, you know, honestly and goodly. Yeah. And then he's finally free. And in this, like you say, it's yeah, it's like you can't save every you, you can save everybody, but you can't fix everybody. Yes. Ooh, I love that. Ooh, brutal. Uh it's man, it's so good. Um, was is there um, before we, before we move yeah. on from the ranch though? I just like just to crystallize like exactly what is so upsetting and weird about the resetting the cycle and resetting mm-hmm. the days thing is like the first time you get to the ranch, it's like it's post Goron, right? It's post when you've already got the Goron mask and you've got the powder keg and you have to blow up the powder keg, blow up the big boulder in front of the yes. ranch, and. The only way you can do it is on day three. The first time you get to the ranch, it's day three. So you've already missed anything that might have happened on the ranch, yeah. i.e. But going into it the first time, you don't know what what's going on. So you walk in and you talk to this little girl who looks like Malin, one of the great main characters mm-hmm. from the first one. So that's already kind of like, oh, whoa, it's her, but it's not her. It's a different name. And you talk to her and she kind of just goes like, huh? What? Yeah. Oh, Hi. And you're like, oh, that was weird. Weird girl. Yeah. Um, And then you start to follow this story and track it in your notebook. And when you finally get to a point where you can get to the ranch in time, you realize like, oh, we're trying to stop this girl from getting abducted by aliens. Yeah. Um, And you try to succeed and you try to fight the aliens off. But if you lose, she gets sucked up into a ship. She's been abducted. And then you come back on the third day and she's back. And she goes, huh? What? And it's like, oh, Oh, every time I meet her on yes. the third day, she has just had her brain washed by aliens. Yeah, so she's not in the best place. Uh, no. Gosh, that, yeah, that whole area, that whole section is is still so fascinating. Um, Chilling and haunting without, you know, using jump scares or weird things. Like, it's it's very good at creating, like, 
political dynamics between all the characters. Like every mm-hmm. place feels like it has its own rules and everyone's got all these preoccupations and crisscrossing um, priorities. And it's, it's like I say, it's just such a deep game, right? You can't, it's a game that can't expand wide the same way Ocarina did because of its time constrictions. And so instead it expands deep. It goes down, you know, it just yeah. plums every single character for whatever weird story they can find, you know? And there are plenty of them <laughs> in that in that game. Um, well, so I do want to hear from you a little bit about any broader specific memories you have from like the context of either when you got into this for the first time or any any meaningful playthroughs you've had before. Um, I meaningful playthroughs. I think you know returning to it on when it came out on the 3ds Ooh, um, yeah. was the first time I think I replayed it as like a, as an adult. And that was the moment where it went from being like, am I nuts for thinking that's my favorite Zelda game to yeah. being like a hundred percent sure, you totally. know, that, that it's like, just again, the storytelling so incredible, everything in it's so haunting and well-written and, and moving and weird. And, um, it just, yeah, it's, it's one of those games. It's, it's hard to pick like a specific memory because it's so kind of, imprinted on my brain and and in my blood or whatever but um specific or broad moments um i've got a question i got another question i could get i could ask you which is when you had your n64 set up at your at your childhood home when you when you first played this game can you paint that room for me or just like what it what it was like absolutely because it's a good room oh i can't Um, wait (laughs) so this was the basement or as in new england they call it the cellar you want to go down Sala and play some video games? That's perfect. Um, so it was like a finished basement, but it was just like, you know, it's this it's this um, brownish reddish carpet with like a crisscross pattern on it um, okay. on top of a concrete floor. <laughs> of course. Um, it's on it's got like there's windows that actually get a lot of sunlight that look out at the backyard. Um, a big uh, sectional wraparound gray couch. Ooh. Um, and the TV I'm playing on is a uh, quote unquote big screen TV. Um, it is a fully like cathode projection television that oh is a gosh. that is a four by three square, you know, like square aspect ratio yep. from like pre HD television. So it's it's in many ways the perfect television to play N64 and GameCube and even some Wii games on because pre HD, if you play a pre HD game now on an HD television, it's just boxed down into that little square and you got the black bars on the side and, and it's even kind of straining to, to reckon with the change in fidelity yes. over the years, you know, um, playing it on this, it was like a 48 inch big screen TV that like my dad, like won through work. Incredible. And by the time HD TV started coming out where we put this giant monstrosity in the basement, <laughs> And, you know, like when you when you turned it on, it like hissed and like a, a oh, little, yeah. like green swirl and it kind of like took a while to turn on. Uh, I can still like hear the like crackle of it. You know, it's it's just uh, and then and then in addition to the sectional, there was a um, this weird green like lounge chair with an ottoman nice. that I would sit in and play next to the coffee table and my cat with my cat pumpkin would sit next to me and, and uh, watch me play video games. Oh, pumpkin pumpkin sounds so great. Uh, pumpkin was the best. Oh, I love that. Was, was this one at least as a kid that you played by yourself? Was your brother into this as well? He was definitely into it, but this was, 
I, another thing I remember about it is like it's one of the first times I like forged ahead playing it without him. You know, wow. like we, yeah. we had our own files, obviously, but like so much of it was let's just kind of play it in lockstep or like trade the controller back and forth and play the same file or something. And this was the first time I was like, no, like I'm I, I can't stop. You know, it's like a good book. I got to I got to keep going, you know. Totally. Uh, I remember this game had, at least on the N64, only had two save files as opposed to the three on Ocarina. And I don't remember, I don't, I've never looked up why that is, but I think it's probably maybe just, there's more things to, that you could be saving to the memory. So it, it can it's only gotta so be a much. storage issue because yeah. like every time, right. Isn't like, isn't the idea of Ram that like Ram is the thing that's being used right now. And the reason why like the PS5 is so amazing is like, it can it can use so much right now like at any given screen and like say the new ratchet and clank you can have a gajillion characters and moving sprites on it oh yeah but it's also it has to be it's the stuff that you that you could potentially do in any given moment has to be ready to go so there's no load time between you walking over to a box and hitting it or something like that yeah but but i i bet it expands to like it has to keep track of all the ripples that we talked about, like each, you know, each path that gets changed by a choice you've made on day one, you know, stacks and continue like by day three, it's probably saving a lot of RAM or information or something. Yeah. I'm going to choose the way you explained it made sense to me. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, <laughs> but that was just like a detail. I remember from this, this game, um, as we, you know, I do want to eventually, um, put a bow on this game but i also want to uh leave some more space to like is there any like is there like a big aspect of this game or something you haven't gotten to bring up that you would really like to so far um i'm looking at my little notes i made i mean i could i you know i i i love the i was thinking about why did it captivate me so much i think as a little kid i loved um portals and i loved uh specifically portals that were in holes and trees yeah um, so like i loved uh magician's nephew the first narnia book yeah. i was like never really into narnia all that much but the fact that that book has like magic rings that you put on and you can go into a portal in a tree stump that'll take you to another world i was like heaven in heaven uh -huh. um so and then like or like the trees in nightmare before christmas you know like yes. all the like, the, like oh. doors and the tree like i was like i want a movie where he goes into the thanksgiving one i want a movie where he yeah. goes into the easter one um so i was obsessed with that so like that's like you know that again another reason i love that whole opening sequence through the transformation mm -hmm. it's just it's just sends a prickle up the back of my neck you know um, but that feeling of just being, I've, I, you know, I've mentioned it several times now, but that feeling of like everything's familiar and yet nothing is, yeah. is such a, is such Oof. a, um, a dream vibe. You, know, you mentioned mm -hmm. it feeling like a nightmare, you know, like it reminds me a lot of, um, return to Oz, you know, another, another knobbly weird sequel to a hugely successful property, you know, like return to Oz for those who don't know is a, you know, a, a Disney effort to make a sequel to wizard of Oz, you know, eight, 40 years after the real wizard, 50 yeah. years after it's like, it's like in the eighties or nineties or something. It's Feruza Bach plays Dorothy and gets to Oz and everything is ruined and, and screwed up. And like the yellow brick road is torn up and everyone's frozen into stone. And it's just like, it's, it's similar vibes to this game. Like, ah, returning to my comforting, you know, magic world that I loved. Oh, so much and getting there and everything's messed up. And you're like, yeah, but it was so great before, you know, like I, I, I'm, I as the character and I as the player, I'm so disturbed and need, you know, feel compelled 
to fix this. You know, it's it's an interesting drive for a main character. It's not mm-hmm. fight the bad guy, save the princess. It's like solve the end of the world while also solving existential ennui and write this world back to the way it's supposed to be because yeah. something's off. It's weird. I th- it I can't remember for sure, but if I think, you know, theoretically, and you can't actually do this in the game, once Link gets right and sheds the Deku mask, he could just leave and leave Termina to whatever the moon is going to, however the moon is going to destroy it. But then the game becomes, instead of getting home, it becomes about, yeah, like you've been bringing up, uh, helping these people and saving this new world that you're in. So it's really... It's really interesting that that's... And you're being totally manipulated by the by the happy mask salesman. Yes. Like, I think there's even a point where you're like, he's like, sure, you can go. It's fine. I mean, all these people are going to die. But, yeah. um, you know... Like, <laughs> but if you can live with that on your conscience, by all means... He's such a skunk. He's so... Yeah. He's the weirdest, like, <laughs> gatekeeper character the, the game, the series has ever come up with. That he's, like, he's so not comforting and, and in many yes. ways feels like a villain himself. And it's like, there's a question of like, does this dude have powers? What's his freaking deal? Yeah. What am I, never really answered, never really given to you. Um, but again, it's that it's that great vibe this game has that, again, something that I think Breath of the Wild lacks is like, there's all this implied storytelling, all this implied history of like, what the hell was the deal with the happy mask salesman and the skull kid? And how did you know, we get like glimpses of how he ended up with the mask, but we don't really know the story. Yeah. And like it just kind of leaves you to fill in the gaps yourself, something that Ocarina is really good at as well. You know, that environmental storytelling that just like you just kind of feel it seep Mm -hmm. into you without necessarily having to have a bunch of dialogue dumped into your head. Yeah, I think that can be said, whether it's specific relationship like between the mask salesman and the uh, and the skull kid or something is like, well, well, wow, I feel like there's like just there's decades of history if not centuries in like the Akana area, like what's that all about? So Dude, yeah, you could probably just start pulling strings from anything in this game. Akana is so wild. And it's like, when you get to that section of the game, there's no doubt you're like, Oh, we're in hell. This, yeah. this world is hell. Termina <laughs> is hell. And there's no, there can't no longer be any doubt. You know, it's yeah. like you get there and it's like, e- even this place in this weird death world, it feels like it's full of death. And you know, there's that sequence. Another broad thing to talk about is just like how dope the cutscenes are in this game mm-hmm. when they're all made with in-game engine. It's no, there's no like cutaway, you know, uh, FMV sequences or anything like that. It's all, you know, like that sequence in Akana when the the dad comes out of the closet and he's, oh, he's like man. a zombie or he's a Gibdo or whatever. Um, and like the, they just do so many different little shots and like canted angles, and it feels like a horror movie. Or like the the whole like very weird experimental sequence of getting turned into the Deku where he's like running in place from the Deku, like gaining on him. Like all of that is so abstract. And like, Mm -hmm. again, talking about like the ways in which they dug down instead of out, you know, to find new images and weird, compelling things. We we should shout out A.G. Ayunuma, you know, who I didn't realize only, you know, is that now he's the godfather of the Zelda franchise. But I didn't realize Ocarina was his first game that he produced for the Zelda franchise yeah he, and he had done directed some other stuff this and, one right so like it's like he's such a smash sensation on Ocarina that now he's handed the keys to this one yeah and creates this insane nightmare game that does well but left people like whew that's not what I was expecting truly you know? I, I wonder if there's some because like we both remember the N64 and the titles fondly but the sales weren't doing well I wonder if there was 
it was because there was an opening and they needed to sell more software that they even got this chance to do this in a year. Like it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I doubt anyone would want to do it in the the schedule that they did it in. I'm curious. Yeah. That's a good question though. Like was the idea for this game first and then the year crunch was like just something that was put in place or did the year crunch dictate every aspect of developing this game? I'd I'd like to know. I don't know for sure either. Um, well, before we, you know, we get into some uh, post-show segments that I have prepared for you, I do want to um, give you a chance, Danny, to sort of just like, even if you've already done it for us today, put a bow on whatever place this game holds for you, however broad or specific. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the place it holds for me just comes down to sort of what I was just saying of just delivering something unexpected. It was a lesson in pop culture that sometimes when an artist who really knows what they're doing is in charge has an idea of what they want to give you and it's different than what you're expecting um to embrace it and and trust that like this person who's one of the most successful video game made made one of the most successful video games of all time i should like kind of shut up and listen when he's got some weird thing he wants to make, you know, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm always a champion of the, like the daring weird sequel. You know, I I love when they're like, okay, you trust me? Great. Here we go. You know, is kind of the vibe of this game is like, let's, let's go on a really weird adventure. That's, you know, really pushing this technology to its absolute um, (laughs) limit. And, and also just, just, such elegant storytelling that sticks with you in a way that for me, games rarely do, you know, I rarely remember dialogue from a video game, but I remember stuff from this, you know? Yeah. It's um, ugh, you've met with a terrible fate. Haven't you? Like it, that's oh. the other thing is like, it's got things in it that are like indelible Zelda canon that is like yes. right up there with it's dangerous to go alone take this. And, and to the point where I would bet people don't even know that like some of the like classic things and lines and memes around Zelda come from this game, you know? Definitely. Uh, gosh, I could just talk to you about this game in general, but to you specifically for so long <laughs> about it. Cause there's, cause it's, I know very special to both of us. Yeah. Uh, but Danny, before we get into the post show segments, thanks for bringing it on in the first place to talk about. I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> oh, gosh darn dream. Well, uh, before we go, like I said, I do have two post-show segments um, that we always get into on the show. And these are going to be based on you picking this game today. The first of which is the Fact Me by Your Game segment. Um, I've got some meaty ones today. A couple of these, at least one of these, I shared on the, uh, the Legend of Zelda Games Club episode we did about Majora's Mask. But we're actually going to get into, um, you sort of set the table for us earlier, bringing up a couple of these moments in game that will stem off to their own stories. So these facts I share could be anything from Easter eggs to uh, cheat codes, development history, all sorts of stuff. Today, this is all like development history stuff. So I think you'll, if you don't already know this, you'll enjoy it. Um, I'm excited. The first one uh, is uh, I have titled Deku Dreams. Now, you actually brought up the moment in the game where Link, a- after you have fallen down this uh, this hole this hole in the tree, um, in this, this giant tree that you're in, uh, that he has this dream of like getting chased by all these Deku scrubs, including this giant one, and it's really uh, bizarre. Um, so this is going to tie into that a little bit. So during this short and stressful production – 
uh, period of creating Majora's Mask in one year. Uh, uh, this caused Zelda producer Eiji Aonuma to have stress dreams. Uh, and I guess in an old uh, Satoru Iwata, the former president of Nintendo, uh, asks interview, Aonuma had been trying to figure out what sort of scene he could do with uh, with the Deku scrubs for the game at the beginning of development. And he, during this stressful period and thinking about this, recalled a dream where he was being chased by Deku. Uh, and I guess the next day, going into whatever next day he had at work, he went in and the scene director, I guess who was animating these possible scenes, showed him what he had been working on. And it was the scene where Link is being chased by the Deku. So this this stress dream that Aonuma is having at home, this animator's like working on it and he doesn't even know. Uh, That's crazy. He had, oh, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't one before the other. It's like he had the dream and then saw it again in game. Yes, just it, simultaneously. That's so creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nuts. Um, and if you haven't seen that scene, go look it up. It's it's just it's yeah. very oh, scary. I mean, we didn't we didn't even talk about the the element of the transforming into oh, yeah, Deku and right. Goron and Zora and how like you're essentially inhabiting the bodies of dead characters, yeah. right? Like with the with Goron and Zora, you they they die in game. You watch it happen. But Deku, you're just turned into one and you're like, "Huh," and you don't know anything about the game yet, and then you find this weird little like withered up statue oh. of a Deku and you're like, "Huh, that and and the your fairy uh, tattle is a tattle or tail? I can't remember. T- tattle. Tattle says like, "Huh, he kind of looks like you." And you're like, "Yeah, great, whatever." Yeah. And then you do the, you do the Deku journey. You meet the butler, and he's like, "You remind me of my son." Well, he's dead. He's gone. I, I miss him very much. Uh, and then when the game ends, the last thing you see in the whole game <laughs> is the butler grieving over the weird little statue that looks like you. Yeah. And you're like, oh my god! Like, did did Majora kill? Uh, uh, this Deku baby to make him into you, or like, did he was he already dead? It's deeply upsetting to consider. Anyway, it, just wanted to add that little dog moment. I'm really glad you did because for for a few reasons. But man, yeah, that whole thing is so dark. Uh, that definitely was like a second playthrough or later for me that I realized that. Um, uh, the the second fact I have for you, I have titled "Art Imitates Life." Uh, so there are a few interesting moments in vignettes in Majora's Mask that were inspired by real life events. Uh, the Ramoni, the Romani Ranch alien sequence was inspired by a trend at the time in supposed UFO cattle mutilation in Japan. This is, I guess, like a rumor going around that this is how these cattle were getting mutilated. I'm, I, I can't believe that it was true but who knows uh this is the reason that the ranch was even created in the first place so they had this this trend and they're like what if we had a, a sequence like this in the game um the aliens that attacked the ranch on the first night their look is inspired by i guess something called the flatwoods monster which was very popular in the 50s and 60s uh in japan so um, this all, by the way, is coming from a great YouTube channel called Did You Know Gaming? Oh, so the best. They've got a great Majora's Mask solo episode. So this is all coming from that. So you can see the cool images there. Um, and lastly, under this umbrella of Art Imitates Life, you brought up the Anju and Cafe sequence, uh, the, the marriage in the game that you like are fighting tooth and nail to make happen in, in a very stressful sequence to save a, a man who has been suddenly transformed into a little boy and he's the mayor's son and you're solving a mystery. It's like, it's the meatiest subplot in the game. Yeah. It's like the, it's the biggest non dungeon 
puzzle and story you have to solve and it's it's very rewarding and really rich and interesting and goes off totally. in a million different directions and like i said we could have talked the whole time about just that yeah if you know i mean this i've heard people describe this as side quest the game if that's the case then this is like the pinnacle of it uh just all the things you have to do and how rewarding it is at the end um but i guess that during the game's development a number of team members were attending a co-worker's wedding uh and during this time i guess that North Korea had launched missiles over Japan and several of the developers at the wedding acknowledged how strange uh, it would be if the missiles, because the missiles could destroy them at any time that they were at this sort of uh, this beautiful moment at this coworker's wedding. And so that's what inspires, you know, when spoiler, when you do are able to reunite Andrew and cafe at the end, this is minutes before the moon is going to crash into the earth. Like the clock tower opens up at the very end of day three. So you can go up there. That countdown's happening. And so y- this is happening and they're just, Chilling. I guess. You're giving me chills right now. It's great. Oh, so, the, the, you know, the, the chime oh. of, the, of the clock. Yeah. I can just hear it ringing in my, as the screen is shrinking. Yeah. Uh, that reminded me of um, the other one that gives me chills is the, the postman's journey to get the postman's hat is another one that kind of takes a while. And when he finally gives it to you, he's like, well, I delivered all the mail and now that's all I had to do. No, I'm not leaving town. I'm just going to stick around and wait for the festival. Like he seems like and when when you if you do the postman's journey, when you go up to the moon at night, he's standing by the entrance up to Majora, just kind of like looking you know, yeah. hand to his forehead, like looking at the moon I'm like, dude run but it's like he knows it's like he had to finish his job and now he's gonna accept death as it crashes it's 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 funny how some characters good deed truly some characters like him maybe are just have accepted their fate some characters are in denial uh the the construction workers that are still building the the festival like thing anyway it's that's a cool one too yeah yeah uh it's so good um but that'll wrap up the fact me by your game segment of the long about the longest one I think we've had, but some really good meaty stuff there. And lastly, I'll lead us in to the game recommendations. Now, I brought three game recommendations on for you today. This is my one forced tie in to the movie Call Me By Your Name, where I am treating Majora as your passionate summer love that you are eventually going to move on from and have new flings. Uh, so each of these are going to have a little something, uh, you know, in common with the game, but be their own thing. But before look, I do, I need to weep yes. silently while staring at a fireplace while my parents get lunch ready in the background. I would actually really appreciate if you did that. Uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll really set the scene for me. Um, so the first uh, game recommendation that I have for you is that if you love a time mechanic like we have in Majora's Mask to stress out to, but you also want a game that's a sequel like this one, I'll go ahead and recommend uh, Pikmin 2, a classic GameCube game. Are you a Gint Pikmin person at all? I, I was. You know, I, I played the first one and really loved it. And I think I beat it, you know, in like at like 60% or whatever. Yeah. You know? But um, I remember renting two and really bouncing off it like a brick wall, like kind of had hit my um, the end of my ability. It's, totally. it's a hard game, hard game series, but I'm excited for four. I think it'll be it'll be fun and I'll um, probably check it out. I'm excited to learn more about that, too, as 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 it comes that was fun to finally hear something about it. Um, the second uh, recommendation I have for you is that I know the moon is technically not a planet, but bear with me here. If you want a game where you go to planets instead of a planet coming to you, it's a little bit of a role reversal there. 
I'll recommend uh, The Outer Wilds, uh, a smash hit. Have you played this at all? Do you know of this? I haven't. I've seen it. You know, it's one of those games that's always on Game Pass or or um, PS Plus or whatever. Yeah. And I've heard it's now been recommended so many times by so many people. I have to simply get into it. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Oh, I know so little. Uh, I just know that I think there's some fantastic elements to it, but you're traveling. It's a first-person perspective, traveling from uh, to and from different planets. Don't Couldn't even tell you what you're doing. Yeah. No no idea. This is for you to figure out at some I'll point. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, no, no. Totally fine. Well, if I'm going to recommend it, it's fair for you to ask. Uh, lastly, this game is known for its masks. I think you collect something like 28 or 27 of them. 24. 24. Thank you. I'm happy you knew. Uh, throughout the game, you're, you know, you're sometimes fully transforming into a different being. Other times, they're just uh, something you throw on your face. Uh, it's a costume of sorts. Um, if that's what you love about this game, you love that uh, you've got all these costume options, but you need just endless ones. I'll go ahead and recommend the game with what I assume are the most costume and skin options uh, ever, and that's Fortnite. So Fortnite's your final recommendation. There, there's so much to love about. If you, Majora's Mask fans will love Fortnite. <laughs> you see the easy transition there. Oh, it's right? smooth as butter, baby. <laughs> I'll, I'll get in on this and, and hit Death Loop again. If you like a tight, deep totally. little game that is made out of the engine of another game uh, that deals with time travel, uh, try Deathloop. It's um, it's a lot of fun, and, and it really feels like Majora fully inspired big parts of it, I think. I, I would like to believe so, because you can definitely see the similarities. Uh, and I'll throw in, you know, we'll, this is going to be another bonus recommendation. If you're a big Zelda fan and you like that this game was esoteric and different than a lot of the other ones. I'll recommend something that another Zelda game I think that does that uh, well in a different way, and that's Link's Awakening, which is just like I can't speak. It's one that I came to way late. I didn't play it till the till the remake on Switch, and it's like a top three Zelda game for me now. Yeah, which it's is, a blast. And that remake is so good. It's so pretty. Oh, I love it. Or um, Link Between Worlds too. I think is really mm-hmm. a slept on game. That's a DS, uh, you know, one, and it's kind of in the, on the same map as as Link to the Past. But that's one that 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 one feels like the dry run for Breath of the Wild in the same way. That's like mm-hmm. you just have all the items at your disposal at any moment, and you can go tackle the bosses in any order you want. Yeah. Um, that game's a lot of fun. If you've ne- if anyone's never picked up Link Between Worlds, that's a fabulous Zelda game. So good. So to wrap up the recommendations, uh, we had Pikmin 2, The Outer Wilds, Fortnite, and of course, of course, the bonus uh, death loop that we got there at the end. Uh, that'll do it for the game recommendations, and that'll actually bring us to the end of the show. Uh, so before we wrap up and plug whatever we want, we can replug stuff too. Danny, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. This was really fun, not only to catch up with you a little bit, but to hear you know what you love about this game because it's a, a big one for me too. So thanks for being here. We need to hang out more. We live in the same neighborhood, so we got to go get a beer or something. It's ridiculous. It's not that hard, right? No. <laughs> um, well, Danny, uh, thanks again for being here. What do you want to plug on your way out? What should people, what should I put in the show notes so people can just click and, and find? 
Yeah, I'm a writer and voice actor for the Freak Brothers on Tubi. Season two is coming either end of this year or early 2023. Um, it's going to be really, really funny. It's a great, you know, raunchy, laugh out loud, stoner animated comedy about uh, three time traveling nincompoop, three stooges <laughs> types um, and the trouble they get into in in this wacky and wild 2020 century that we find ourselves living in. <laughs> Um, it's a lot of fun and I have a blast working on that show. I'm very grateful to be on it. So yeah, check out the Freak Brothers on Tubi. Follow me on Twitter at uh, Danny Likes TV. And then I wanted to throw out a, um, a plug for someone who's not me. Ooh, if you're a fan of Majora's Mask and you're a fan of this music, there is a great album on Spotify that's like a fully orchestrated um, fully arranged like this guy or this person did all the arrangements themselves of almost the whole soundtrack of Majora's Mask. It's called Time's End, Majora's Mask Remixed. The artist is called Theophany, like Theo and Symphony, huh. Theophany. Um, it came out in 2012, so it's not like a new thing. Um, but if you, it's really cool, fully orchestrated, full instruments of all the songs. The best one on there, though, is Clock Town. They just crush oh, their clock. Man. It's like a full, it's like you feel like, oh my God, they need to make a Majora's Mask movie just so they can yeah. hire this dude and put it in it because <laughs> um, it's a banger. So check that out. It's really cool. And if you love Majora's Mask already, it kind of like lights your brain up imagining what a movie or something would look like. It's, it's great. Wow. Um, well, you know, that album and everything else that you plugged, I'll just put a link so the listener can just click it in the show notes. Uh, going to take the searching uh, out of the equation. Um, but again, glad you could be here. I'll just go ahead and close us out with some plugs of my own. Uh, the show art for Call Me By Your Game is done by Glenn J. You can find Glenn and his other wonderful work on Instagram at Glenn with two N's dot J-A-Y. This show is produced by Jeremy Schmidt. You should check out his show, Video Games, a comedy show. It's more of a roundtable style uh, comedy video game podcast that you can, it's also part of this network. Uh, I'm on social media, Connor underscore McCabe. I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash cons with a Z. So C-O-N-Z is cool 69. And lastly, of course, check us out on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash super NPC, like non-player character, NPC radio. Uh, and yeah, you're going to, if you like me and the conversations I have with people about video games, you're probably going to enjoy what you find there. I've already talked about the Donkey Kong Games Club. We've got a monthly episode deep dive for me on a meaningful video game. Most recently, uh, we did an episode on Chrono Trigger. Um, coming up, we've got the Return of Monkey Island, a brand new game. So yeah, there's a lot to find there. Again, patreon.com slash super NPC radio. If you want to check out more stuff for me. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Call Me by Your Game. We will see you on the next one. <laughs> <laughs>